Once again, I draw your attention, as we've been noting in previous weeks, the seventh chapter of Revelation. Let's turn there, Revelation chapter 7. And I want to read just part of a verse. It is verse 16. Revelation 7, verse 16. The first part of that verse simply says, They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. As we've been noting in recent weeks, Revelation chapter 7 introduces us to an heavenly scene. John the Beloved, the writer, gets a glimpse of glory. He sees right into the courts of heaven. And there he witnesses a wonderful sight. In verse 9 of this chapter, it says, After this I beheld, that means I, I looked steadfastly, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. The innumerable hosts of the redeemed are viewed here as standing before God's throne, clothed all in white and with palms in their hands. And they're doing something very significant. They're praising God with a loud voice, and they're ascribing salvation to him alone. Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. The angels too are standing there. The following verses reveal this. But these angels are then seen to fall prostrate before that same throne. And worshipping God, they're seen ascribing praises and honor to him. From this vision of heaven we learn a number of vital truths concerning that wonderful place. We discover who it is that dwell in heaven. Their number is mentioned. It's an innumerable company, a number that no man could number. We note how they're dressed. We're told how they came to be in heaven and what exactly they're doing there. From verse 13, one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes? And whence came they? Who are these people? Where did they come from? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation, and have washed their robes, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of God. That's why they're there. And serve him day and night in his temple, and he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. We note the endless activity of these inhabitants of glory, their service. Again, that's repeated in Revelation 22. His servants shall serve him. But we also note here the eternal protection afforded to them by God as he provides them with shelter. They're never going to leave that place. 
Because the one who sits on the throne shall dwell among them. And the sense of that is, he will cause his Shekinah glory to abide upon them, or he will shelter them with his presence. He covers them there. Now from the service and the shelter of heaven, we're now going to take a look at the satisfaction of heaven. Because that's the theme of verse 16 in the first part of it. It says of those who are in glory, they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. So far we've been learning about positive things that they're doing, but we now start to think about that which is not there. The absence of certain things, which is part of the glory. Heaven is a place where glorified saints are forever satisfied. That's the thought here. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. And there's a lot more to that than just the carnal, natural sense of hungering and thirsting. It applies to all of that, yes, but it also applies spiritually. Heaven is a place, we might say, of everlasting contentment. People sometimes say of our departed loved ones, well, they wouldn't want to come back. And that's 100% correct. Why would you want to leave the contentment of heaven for this earthly scene? Where there are so many things to annoy and to disturb. Heaven is a place of satisfaction. And this is going to be the theme of our study today. And in considering this great truth, we must first of all consider the search for earthly satisfaction. Because when we read these words, they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, we are reminded that these people who are now in heaven were once upon the earth. They once dwelt here below in a realm where there's a lot of hunger and a lot of thirst in every sense. Many, who might, might say all in this world, seem to be on a search for earthly satisfaction. Many years ago, the rock band, the Rolling Stones, had a hit song in which a great admission was stated. I can't get no satisfaction. I can't get no satisfaction, apart from the poor English. That's true. In this world, you can't get satisfaction. That is a statement of the fact of all human experience. This side of eternity, there is no satisfaction to be found. And all oh, that people in the world would understand this today. You cannot be satisfied by the things of this world. I don't care what it is. It will never provide you with what you need. The Scripture actually says in the Old Testament, the eyes of a man are never satisfied. And that's true. You and I could live a thousand lives on this earth and never get to the place where we are fully content and we are totally satisfied. 
See, the absence of satisfaction in this world is impressed upon us. Let me say that again. The absence of satisfaction is impressed upon us. How is it impressed upon us? It's impressed upon our hearts as we live in the world. Just by living each and every day. The experience of life teaches us that the things of this world in themselves and by themselves will never satisfy our hearts. You know why? Part of the reason? Because the things that we enjoy here below are transitory. They're not permanent. They don't last. Everything eventually comes to an end. Everything decays or is destroyed. That's why the Lord said you shouldn't lay up your treasures on the earth because moth and rust can corrupt, thieves can break through and steal. You lay up your treasure in heaven where there's none of those. The things that we enjoy here below are all passing away. There are verses in Second Peter that really emphasize this to a very strong degree. It's talking about what's going to happen in the end. Second Peter 3 from verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation, manner of life that means, and godliness. Everything is going to pass away. It's going to be destroyed. So the pleasures of life, even the pleasures of sin, are only for a season. You think of the most enjoyable aspects of life on this planet. No matter what it is that you can think of, not one of those things will satisfy your heart. We all love our vacation times, don't we? And we look forward to vacation. And nothing gets in the way of that on the calendar. When that comes around, those dates are sacrosanct. We're going on vacation, no matter what else is going on. And we enjoy a lovely vacation. And then the day comes when we have to go home. It comes to an end. We partake of a most delicious meal. And we're full to the gills, as we say in Ulster. But just a few short hours later, and we're hungry again. It's funny how that works. No matter how good that meal was, it doesn't last. It doesn't satisfy. Think about the closest and most loving relationships that we can have on this earth. (laughs) Now this hits home. They're sundered apart by the death of one of them. No matter how wonderful your marriage is, it only is till death do us part. That comes to an end. I don't care how close a relationship you have with a friend. That friendship will soon come to an end. 
This world, you see, is a veil of tears. And nothing that is joyful can ever continue. There is no satisfaction here as we live in the world. So living our lives here in this world, this truth is going to be impressed upon us. The absence of satisfaction. Living our lives here, we're always going to encounter disappointment. But the absence of satisfaction is further impressed upon us as we look into the Word. You look into the Scriptures, read the Bible, and you'll see there are examples of men and women who try to gain satisfaction from things in this life. There are quite a number of examples. One of the greatest, I, I would say the outstanding example of this, was Solomon. You read the book of Ecclesiastes. And that book really may be summarized in these words. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. He learned by bitter experience as he speaks about it himself. About the futility of seeking for satisfaction in the things of the world. Just read Ecclesiastes chapter 2. And we haven't got time to read all of these verses. But as you work your way through this chapter, you'll find that Solomon tried to find satisfaction in a multiplicity of things. He made great works. He builded houses. He planted vineyards. He made gardens and orchards. He made pools of water. He got servants and maidens. He had possessions. He calls them great possessions of great and small cattle above all that were in Jerusalem before me. I gathered me also silver and gold and the peculiar treasures of kings and of the provinces. I got me men singers and women singers. He liked music and the delights of the sons of men as musical instruments and that of all sorts. And it's all summarized in verse 10. And whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy. For my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my portion of all my labor. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought, and on the labor that I had labored to do, and behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit, and there was no profit under the sun. See his conclusion. No matter what you try to satisfy yourself with, it doesn't satisfy ultimately. And there are clear statements in the Bible elsewhere that emphasize the folly of seeking contentment in worldly things. Think of the words of the Lord Jesus in Luke chapter 12. Just turn there and the Lord gave a parable which is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. He was illustrating the folly of covetousness, trying to gather money and wealth and lands and get satisfaction from that. The Lord said in Luke chapter 12 from verse number 15, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Doesn't that cut right across worldly philosophy? See, there are people who live 
for the making of money and the gathering of things. And they really think that your life does consist in the abundance of the things that you can possess. That's why they spend so much money on these stupid scratch cards and lottery tickets. And as I've often said, some of them, when you watch them in these stores buying these things, they've got one foot in the grave and the other one on a banana skin. And what do they think they're going to do with the money if they ever want it? What are they going to do with it? Die within six months and leave it to somebody else? Oh, the stupidity of people. You go over there today, well, don't, but you could. To where the Bethlehem Steel used to be and the big casino that's there. People in there playing all manner of games. They bust them in. Bust loads of people to go and spend their well-earned money trying to make a fortune. Some of them are on their last legs. The things of this world don't satisfy. But they think that they do. So as we read on, you'll see that the Lord said in a parable, verse 16 of Luke 12, the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. See, he's already rich. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I've no room where to bestow my fruits. He said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. He's making more and more money. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. I'm going to enjoy the fruits of my labor now. And God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Oh, the folly of trying to find contentment in worldly things. The Apostle Paul dealt with the same subject in 1 Timothy chapter 6. And there Paul, in speaking about things, he said, and I'm quoting here from verse number 6 onwards, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world. So the wee baby comes out of the mother's womb and he's totally naked. He doesn't bring anything into the world with him. And it is certain we can carry nothing out. When the person is laid out on the mortician's slab, they're naked and they take nothing with them. And having food and raiment, that's what you eat and what you wear, let us be there with content. But they that will be rich, that means those that desire to be rich, fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money, not money, the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. See, rather than having satisfaction in the things of the world, they pierce themselves through with many sorrows. Just like the fool who drinks wine, there are so many things for us to have the mindset, I will seek it yet again. 
Because we're never satisfied. No satisfaction is found in the things of the world. In this search for earthly satisfaction, we can say that the absence of satisfaction is impressed upon us as we live in the world and as we look into the Word. But notice then the attainment of satisfaction is impossible for us. Think of all the things in which people in this world seek to be satisfied. Jesus said in Mark 8 verse 36, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Of course that's the greatest hypothetical, isn't it? Gaining the whole world. Who has ever gained the whole world? No one has ever gained the whole world. The the great emperors who ruled over so much of the world still didn't gain the whole world. Napoleon and the various Roman dictators, the emperors, they never did rule over the whole world. No one ever did. No one has ever gained the whole world. It's actually impossible for anyone to gain the whole world. But of course people try. They do try. And the attainment of satisfaction, we must learn, is impossible for us, this side of heaven. There are, of course, those who seek satisfaction in the pursuit of fame. Movie stars, sports stars, celebrities. But no matter how famous any of them become, it will not satisfy them. If you look, look into it, you'll find that many of these celebrities are the most miserable people you would ever not want to meet. Think back on some of the movie stars of the past. Some of them were married six and seven times. Never happy. Never satisfied. Fame only takes you so far. And the price of fame for many is a miserable life. You'll all have heard of the great American football player Tom Brady. After all the prizes that he has won. He gave an interview, I think it was to a magazine some years ago. In which he admitted that after winning one of these prizes. Super Bowl I guess it was. He thought to himself... Surely there's got to be more to life than this. There's got to be more to life than this. He's not satisfied. Fame, fortune. Again, we could say a lot about that. The accumulation of wealth. Making money. It doesn't satisfy. The famous Rockefeller was asked a question once. How much wealth would you need to gain to make you totally happy. He said, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. That's human nature. There is no satisfaction in fame or in fortune or in friendship. Because people disappoint you, don't they? There are fair weather friends. There are those that are supposed to be friends. And they let you down. Big time. And you find that their friendship isn't worth a nickel or even as much as that. The closest human companionship, the closest friendship 
will not produce in your heart a perfect satisfaction. There's always going to be something not quite right. And we could sum up a lot of other things under the word fun. And people are all about fun today, aren't they? Got to have fun, even in church life. They can't have a youth meeting anymore without having fun. Can't just study the Bible or have a Bible quiz. They have to have fun. Games. Now, I'm not against fun. I'm not against games. But it seems like anymore, that's the emphasis. Fun. Let's have fun. Let me tell you, the most pleasurable activities will not satisfy the soul of any man or woman. Because, to summarize, it is impossible to be totally happy in this sinful world. But I'm so happy we don't finish the message there. Because there's this point. We've talked about the fact that there is no satisfaction in the things of the world. The search for earthly satisfaction is a futile one, but we can think about the source of eternal satisfaction. Look at this verse. Revelation 7 verse 16. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst anymore. It's talking about the same people who are mentioned earlier there, washed in the blood of the Lamb. They've washed their robes white. In glory... They're not going to hunger anymore, and they're not going to thirst anymore. This is a statement of the reality that in heaven, the saints of God are totally and everlastingly satisfied. In that blessed land, fulfillment is complete. No hunger nor thirst, but perfect satisfaction in Christ. Do you know that in heaven, no one will ever say, is this all there is? Is there not something more? What a disappointment. Have you ever been to a place and someone had really bigged it up and you're looking forward to going there and when you visit it, it's no big deal. I thought I was going to really look at something amazing here. That's nothing. It's disappointing. Heaven's not like that. No one's ever going to say, is there not something more? Because there's no desire that will remain unfulfilled in heaven. Fulfillment is complete. Now, there is, of course, for the believer in Christ here on earth, such a thing as living in the anticipation of heaven. Living in the imperfect experience of joy... In Christ, there is a satisfaction to be found in this life in Christ. But it's not yet to its fullest degree because we're in the flesh. We're in the world. We still have to encounter the devil. We have problems with sin. But yes, there's abundant life here below in Christ. That's why we recommend the Savior to sinners. There's none but Christ that can satisfy. You can try the pleasures of the world. You'll find that they will fail you, but he will not fail you. Jesus said, didn't he, in John chapter 10 and verse 10, and he was talking about this life, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. There is such a thing as abundant life, satisfaction in this world, to a degree. 
But we live in an imperfect world. A world in which our joy is not constant, nor is it always consistent. Our walk with God is not even consistent. Bonner was right when he said, My love is oft times low. My joy still ebbs and flows. But peace with him remains the same. No change, Jehovah knows. But we're changeable, aren't we? Sometimes we're on the mountaintop. Next thing, we're in the valley. We don't love the Lord all with all our heart as we should. But yet the Lord does fill us. He does satisfy us when we hunger and thirst for him. That's the promise. Notice that great beatitude. Blessed. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. It means they shall be satisfied. But notice that this is an ongoing thing in the believer's life. He hungers and thirsts after righteousness, which really is another way of speaking of Christ. And as he hungers and thirsts, which is an ongoing sensation, he will be filled. The Lord keeps on filling. There's a hymn that reflects that. Fill my cup, Lord. I lift it up, Lord. Come and quench this thirsting of my soul. Bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. Fill my cup. Fill it up and make me whole. That's the Christian's experience. But as I say, we're living in an imperfect world. Yet even here on earth, there is a sense in which we don't hunger or thirst anymore. In a spiritual sense. This is how the Lord spoke to the woman at the well. He took a natural thing, water, and spoke of it in a spiritual way. And here's what happened in John 4, from verse 13. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. The water that's in this well. The water that you're drawing from this well. When you drink of it, you'll get thirsty again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. There's that which satisfies the believer's heart. And again, the Lord made that clear a couple of chapters later in John chapter 6. Speaking of the manna from heaven, he applied it to himself, the bread of life. And he said in John 6 from verse 32... Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from above, from heaven, and giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, Notice, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. There's an anticipation of heaven, isn't it? And he that believeth in me shall never thirst. There is the anticipation of heaven. Heaven is a place where they hunger no more and they thirst no more. Jesus said, when you come to me for salvation, you will not hunger anymore or thirst anymore in this life. This is salvation through believing in Christ. And it is heaven begun here below. As the hymn puts it, oh, hallelujah, yes, tis heaven. Tis heaven to know my sins forgiven. 
on land or sea, no matter where, where Jesus is, tis heaven there. You know, there is salvation through believing in Christ, which is the anticipation of heaven. It's heaven begun here below in our hearts. So in a sense, in a sense, when you get saved, you're satisfied fully in Jesus. You don't want anything more than him. But heaven is where we experience that satisfaction in perfection. See, life on earth in Jesus is a feast. But in heaven there is a perfect feast in the marriage supper of the Lamb. And for me that's a reference not to a limited event but that which takes place forever. Not only is fulfillment complete for believers in heaven but feasting is ceaseless. They're always filled full with Christ. It was only recently actually at the funeral service of my dear departed wife when Dr. Pollock brought this out. I'd never thought of it before. He said, Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Well, if living here as a believer is all about Christ, then how could it be gain when you go to heaven? He said, because heaven is just more of Christ. For to me to live is Christ and to gain, to be in heaven, to die is gain. That's more of Christ. Enjoying him in his fullness, which we do not do here below because of the restrictions of our flesh and the world. We'll always be filled full with Christ when we're there. The heavenly feast will be a feast to end all feasts. The Lord's Supper is a wonderful thing. It's such a privilege to be at communion. Not because it provides us with eternal life, it doesn't. But it's a means of grace that focuses our minds and our hearts upon Christ. And Robert Murray McShane, the great preacher of Scotland, used to say that there was something about the communion Sabbaths. He felt like the Lord Jesus drew near in a particular way at the supper, and therefore he instituted further celebrations of the supper in his church in Dundee. Prior to him coming, they'd had just the one gathering per year, but he made it into a number of times a year. And he spoke often of how the Lord Jesus drew near at the table. You know why that is? Because even at the Lord's Supper, we are anticipating the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's mentioned in Revelation 19, verse 9. And he saith unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. The bride is there. The bridegroom is there. And there's the marriage supper. The hymn writer said of communion, Too soon we rise, the symbols disappear. He said that feast after feast still comes and goes. But he said, giving sweet foretaste of the festal joy, the lambs 
great bridal feast of bliss and love. How satisfying it will be to be seated there. Here below, we see the Lamb only by faith. But in heaven, we shall see him as he is. That brings me back to Psalm 17. You might have wondered why we chose that for our Bible reading today. But if you look at the final verse of Psalm 17, it says there, As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. I've written in the flyleaf in the margin of my Bible, Mum, M-U-M. It's our word for mother. When my mother was passing away, she was close to death at that time. My brother-in-law, Reverend Priestley, who was here with us, read this psalm to her. And I remember when he read verse 15, As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. I saw my mother moving her lips and whispering, Amen. And then she quoted it several times. I shall be satisfied when I awake. With thy likeness, I shall be satisfied when I awake. With thy likeness. See, she was anticipating what every believer in glory enjoys. There's no hunger there. There's no thirst there. They are satisfied completely and eternally. What will it be to be there? Let me ask you, is this your hope today? Heaven's a place of divine satisfaction. It has been stated, there we shall be completely satisfied with Christ as our portion. But even more amazingly, he shall be satisfied with us as his portion. When we are in glory, enjoying our satisfaction in Christ, it is then that he shall see of the travail of his soul, that is, the fruit of that travail, and be satisfied. See, heaven is a place where not only believers are satisfied, but Christ is satisfied. He's satisfied with the work that he did on Calvary. Because every single person for whom he shed his blood will be there. There are no empty seats in heaven. There are none who were supposed to be there who didn't make it there. Every single one for whom he paid the debt is going to be there. And so, Savior and saved will together for eternity be and a place of satisfaction. What a hope we have in Christ. I trust that it is your hope today. And if it's not, come to Christ. Trust him. Come to him and trust him as your all in all. And you too will enjoy forever and forever the fruit of his work. Satisfaction.
Amen and amen.